The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Tēnā koutou katoa, this is Gone By Lunchtime, extra bonus, very special edition. My name is Toby Manaro, and with me today I have none other than the man you may know from the Morning Bulletin, Alex Bray. Kia ora, Alex, how good are morning. you? Good morning, I'm good, I'm good, thank you. Um, Annabelle and Ben will be back with me on the morning after the election, which is this Saturday, unless they extend it again, which they probably will, let's face mm. it, and... This is a special edition for those of you who are just insatiable in your thirst for politics. And I wanted to talk to Alex because he's been on a pretty extraordinary mission around the country uh, and he's learned a lot. And it's just fair that he shares those learnings, ladies and gentlemen, with you. First of all, I want to say thanks to Flick Electric for their support over many years for spin-off politics. You can join up to them by clicking through on any page. I wanted to say thank you to spin-off members who allow me and Alex and the rest of us to do what we do. And I want to thank Alice Webbledall who is uh, helpfully making this all work technically today as well as being an important spirit force uh, in the room and in the office more generally. Alex, I'd like you to retrace the itinerary in the, what well, you know, the I've Been Everywhere Man. Mm. I want you to go Woodville, mm. Dargaville, Limsden, Caddy, Caddy, Nadesby, Cambridge, can you do that? I didn't actually go to any of those places, okay. as far as I know. No, okay. I, I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty crazy journey, actually. I, I went all over the country and looked high and low. But I just couldn't find the bad boys of Brexit anywhere. Oh, you know? bad boys. So it's disappointing. That's disappointing. because they were probably nestled behind the Ohakune carrot. Yeah, or yeah. wherever they could create chaos, I probably, think. probably there camped behind the Mosgiel sign. <laughs> I mean, they they move in mysterious ways, the bad boys, mm, mm. Um, such that you can't. I mean, like for example, the, the late surge from New Zealand first. Not many people can see that either. No, no. Who who will see that coming? I suppose only them. But um, no, what, I, what I've actually been doing is uh, a large road trip for the election, uh, mm. basically. Uh, Juicy gave us a van to drive around in, and uh, and Z Energy gave us some petrol money to actually make the van run. So we're very grateful to both of them. And 
over the course of it, uh, I actually wrote this out because there's quite a few of them. Have uh, you written down the, the, the itinerary? I have. Can you do yeah. it? I mean, you don't have to do it yeah. in the song, but uh, uh, like I think to well, get a sense of it. Some of it would flow as a song. Well, give but, it a go. I mean, give it a go. Um, actually, now that you mention it, uh, not many people would necessarily pick this from your bulletin persona, but you have been posting on social media. Once. Well, once is, once. I mean, one, once, but sometimes one, when one thing is so powerful, it can in some ways be more than, it, it can be almost a singularity. The, you posted a picture of yourself singing, playing guitar, and in the office, you should have been seeing the scenes in the office when Alex really? Bray, it was like, eat it, Jack Tame. Honestly, this was a, <laughs> this was a huge moment. Alex Bray, a man not necessarily taking to performative gestures, mm. suddenly proving that he is a singer-songwriter in the mould of Leonard Cohen or Lynn Wainwright. It was extraordinary. Look, few people know this about me, but, um, but uh, journalism was actually something that I failed into as a fallback option from a, from a previous... Uh, from a previous attempt at being a jazz musician for a career. Amazing. So, um, you know, the the world of uh, media is lucky or unlucky, depending on your point of view, that there's there's not really any money Well, in, I don't see any reason why you can't fuse the two, beginning now with your musical <laughs> rendition of the Alex Bray uh, Bulletin on the Road itinerary. I don't think I'm actually going to sing this, but it was uh, basically the first leg was Matamata, Fakatane, Topor, Martin, Wellington then back up to Auckland because mm. COVID broke out again, mm. and so they delayed the election and then headed out again to Topor, Inglewood, Levin, Martinborough, Nelson, down the west coast, Gore, Dunedin, Lincoln, Christchurch, and then a massive journey back up the country, which actually included a really lovely night camping out at the Mataeri Cozy Club. Oh. Um, Sort of about half an Inside hour. Inside or outside? Outside. <laughs> outside. No, they just had a yard out the back uh-huh. where we just had to pay a donation. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, and so yeah, you could you could just uh, have a have a nice night drinking with the lads and and watching the rugby and then uh, go and sleep in a van. Oh, that's a, the dream. Living the dream. It was beautiful. Uh, were there were a couple of nights though when you were fairly confident you were going to be murdered? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, well, there was there was one at a at a campsite, uh, not too far out of Murchison, where there was literally no one else in the entire campsite, mm. except for a mysterious campfire in the distance. Mm. Um, I did not go and investigate. Mm-mm. I mean, I know I was meant to be sort of doing the intrepid reporter thing, mm. but um, it just it, you know it just had that vibe, real Twin Peaks vibe. You mentioned that you went out twice, yeah, because obviously the the what we call the August resurgence is that mm. what we call it happened, uh, and you were in Topra at the time, as I recall. Mm. Um, was there a difference in terms of the natures of the campaign that first bit you got, and then when you went back out there that was discernible? Yeah, well, a, a lot of the events on the second time around were actually held at level two, so they yeah. had a, a yeah. sort of weird vibe. Uh, to do with them, uh, I I had a, a long chat at a debate in Levin uh, with the new conservative candidate there who was wearing a mask, but mm. while we were talking, his mask kept on falling off his face, mm. and, and it was incredibly um, hard not to laugh while, mm. while talking to him. But, I mean, I think it's fair to say the electorate the second time around... Uh, was probably a bit wary of it all. Yeah. Um, 
a bit less of a sense of, oh, this is going to be fun and exciting, an election campaign coming up, you know, we're going to all get amongst. It Mm. was more a sense of, oh, we're doing this again. One of the reasons that we were keen for you to do this and that you were keen to do this is because it's very easy to get caught in bubbles and coverage and media coverage generally and politics and Mm. even in campaigns you might be traveling the country but if you're traveling the country uh, adhered to a campaign then whether or not you're really getting a kind of cross-section or a taste of what's going on around the country do you what what did you find as you toured New Zealand was outside, noticeably outside the bubbles that we normally live in? Mm. Um, well, in a in a rural sense, uh, mm. I think um, guns were, were a big thing that people were talking about. Yeah, uh, there was there was a big sense among uh, some of the rural people I talked to that the government, in changing the gun laws, had really misunderstood. Uh, the nature of rural gun ownership, uh, both in a sort of uh, hobby sense and also a utility sense. And these were people who very much saw themselves as uh, totally law-abiding citizens who happened to own these weapons for legitimate reasons who who were sort of uh, made criminals if they didn't hand them in. Mm. And in fact, a few people sort of said, uh, yeah, we handed some of them in. And, and not others. So, you know, I think that was probably something uh, that came up. And also 1080. I mean, we sort of forget how massive a deal 1080 is mm-hmm. in the particularly uh, rural parts of the country. And I, and I wonder if there's maybe a little bit of a sense of a different mindset. Perhaps people in cities uh, perhaps see nature as somewhere else that they go out to as yep. opposed to rural people or provincial people who are much more in the natural world for their day-to-day life. And and in that sense, I mean, you know, obviously the Department of Conservation has very good reasons for using 1080. They've got a very strong evidence base for it. But uh, something about the idea of going out and putting poison into nature just really, really rubs a lot of people up the wrong way and, uh, and made them very, very angry. So these are things I assume that were sort of cropping up at, the debates you went to mm, as well. Mm. And what was the response from the parties? We'll get to the smaller parties in a second, but as far as the the, the major parties are mm. concerned, how do they respond to those concerns? Uh, well, probably the biggest ones would have been two debates on the West Coast that I went to uh, in which pretty much all of the candidates talked about uh, basically how their, their personal view on 1080 was that... Uh, they didn't like it. Uh, in fact, the the Green candidate even talked about how he found uh, 1080 abhorrent, mm. was his word. Mm. But uh, from the big parties, at least, uh, there was a general sense that, well, you know, we don't necessarily like it, but we think it's the best option, and so we're going to keep using it for now. But they were also all keen to talk about uh, investments that have been made in uh alternatives to 1080 Mm. um, and sort of phasing it out if possible. Uh, Among some of the smaller parties, there was also a huge appetite for setting up some sort of possum fur industry um, Mm. or or trapping or, or, you know, getting people who are unemployed out into the bush and and doing make-work schemes in that way, basically. Um, 
I'm not sure if the economic case is quite there for that yet, but there's certainly an appetite to do something other than 1080. And, and uh, presumably, as it was everywhere, COVID was a pervasive mm. issue at these mm. meetings. I Absolutely, mean, some communities yeah. have been hit harder than others. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In um, in Kaikoura, which I, I don't think I actually included that in the rundown. I just stopped there for a night, basically, and uh, they were talking about how ninety uh, percent of the town's visitors mm. pre-COVID had been international, and so this is also a town that's coming off an earthquake. Uh, I want to say four years ago. Mm was just starting to recover, sort of. The road up the coast is still absolutely, you know, you can get through it, but the road is basically mm. um, very, very slow in some parts because within 50k of Kaikoura itself, there's probably about 12 spots of roadworks at, at any given time. Mm. Um, and there was a real grimness uh, to it in that sense. And in other parts of the country where farming is the economic base hadn't really mattered all that much. Um, I think as well, when it comes to the uh, to the COVID stuff, it, it basically um, one of the things I was trying to think about while I was out was the sort of way that uh, that Labour's extremely high polling since... Uh, the COVID crisis started, you know, what what was actually behind that? Yeah. And there was one quite amazing moment in a debate in Martinborough in which uh, Kieran McAnulty, who's Labour's candidate, uh, was, he, he basically didn't bother talking about New Zealand First or National or the Greens or anything like that. He directed all of his attacks, basically, uh, at the advanced New Zealand candidate, who obviously mm. their their policy is to repeal the uh, the COVID nineteen response bill, uh, they you know have hard to pin down views exactly, but some people this in is advance the party would co led by Billy T K yeah, and Jamie Lee Ross. Yeah, I think uh, if you asked them flat flat out, is COVID a hoax? They would say no. But if you interrogated that a bit further, then you would probably get somewhere in terms of. Yes. Not thinking it's a particularly big deal. And provided a warm nest for conspiracy theories. Exactly. And and McAnulty absolutely brought the house down mm. uh, by he was getting a bit of heckling from a couple of advanced New Zealand supporters in the audience and he he got up to speak and he built up and built up and built up and then uh, while he was doing that the rest of the room at large was really starting to get in behind him and you could hear the murmurs breaking out. And then he concluded by saying, and we kept the country safe by listening to experts, not by reading conspiracy theories on Facebook. And the, the room just erupted, as it were. And it, and it Erupted in? Applause. In applause. In applause. Yeah. And, and it was one of those moments where I think, uh, I think for Labour in, in this election, they've managed to... Uh, run very well on the mantle of being the representative of the responsible parties of government. Yeah. I mean, you see it all the time in the in the sort of advertising that Grant Robertson's doing at the moment as well, where he's making quite explicit pitches to former voters of Key and English and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that McAnulty was basically able to turn the room over to his side by by saying that the real opposition and his uh, the way that he was characterizing it was 
advance New Zealand versus Labour. That that was, I think, a particularly clever bit of politics mm. and, and one that was probably quite a unifying bit of politics for the people who were in that room at the time. Interesting. And you attended a bunch of these debates. You've written about a lot of them mm. on thespinoff.co.nz. Just search for Alex Bray. <laughs> I'm not joking. They're they're excellent, excellent reads. <laughs> yeah, well, um, what give us a give us a you mentioned the, that that debate in Martinborough. Give us another one, one that's going to linger in your memory for years to come, mm. for whatever reason. The one that the one that, something that's that that that, that sticks out. Uh, well, I did. I I won't talk about one that I've written because I I would just want to shout out to the Apoho Church in Dunedin, which was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was Aru Valley Community Centre level of iconic election debate. It was mm. really well mm. done, very funny, uh, really good time. But my favourite one though was probably uh, held in Punakaiki, which is a small uh, tourism village on the west coast. You might have heard of the Pancake Rocks, and mm. it was held in the dock workshop at level two. So they spaced it out, but they managed to get close to a hundred people in and the yeah. candidates stood on a box to speak and there were tools hanging off the walls and there were 12 candidates. So it was a, a totally wild contest of ideas and mm. the ACT candidate spent his entire speech talking about mining rather than party policy and uh, the money free party was represented. And if you're into minor parties, that's one of those um, real deep cuts, which is, which is quite exciting. Um <laughs> And there was a really good, uh, there was a really good sense, I think, of uh, people who wouldn't necessarily, um, well, you know, it's a small, close knit community, and people who wouldn't necessarily have agreed with each other, but that is their community, and they all came together for that particular event, mm. and it it was a real, you know, it was a sunny Sunday afternoon, and it felt like a real moment in kind of the social calendar of, mm. of Punakaiki for this year. And um, and I just thought it was fantastic. So you came away from that feeling quite positive yeah, about the, the state yeah. of things. Yeah, yeah. That's good to know. Which is, uh, you know, because it's not, it's not going great on the West Coast at the moment. Uh, but it felt like, you know, all of the, all of the we'll just make do with what we've got you know, they had a dock workshop, so they made do with that. They had a mm. box for people to stand on, so they'd make do with that. There there are some pretty shit economic situations coming up for the West Coast at the moment, but you got a real sense of it that, well, they'll they'll find a way to get through it and make do. Kia ora, I'm Sophie. And I'm Simon. And I'm Alice, and together we host the spin-off's food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Join us each month as we explore a vast culinary landscape. From the gourmet Ooh la la. to your more hearty tucker. Kiwi onion dip, anyone? Everything's on the table in Dietary Requirements. Subscribe wherever you listen to all your other favourite podcasts. You mentioned the minor parties and alongside jazz music and sleeping outside <laughs> cosmopolitan clubs, minor parties is truly one of your favourite things mm, in the world. Mm. Um I'm not joking about that. It's and it's 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 very cool as well. You uh, have a profound fascination with the mechanics and the personalities in minor parties. So I'm curious to know how those parties manifest themselves in parts of the country that that are less populated. Are they more prominent? Are they 
who are the characters? What are the issues? How, how do you? How did you encounter the smaller parties on your journey? Well, uh, for any watcher of minor parties, Nelson is really the place to be. It's uh, it's where the outdoors party co-leader Sue Gray is based, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's having a real crack at winning the seat off Nick Smith uh, this year, which um, could happen. surely not. Couldn't happen. It, it probably couldn't, but she's got a lot of signs around town. Yeah, yeah. that's basically this. She's a very vocal uh, online personality as well, isn't she? Uh, to a degree, uh, she's her issues are sort of around um, what you'd call bodily autonomy issues. So uh, I thought she was quite into ten eighty as well. Well, that that is a bodily autonomy issue because if you're connected to nature oh, and they're poisoning, as as the argument goes, oh, as it were. Okay. But you know, vaccinations and and five G uh, interrupting your. Uh, brainwaves, or I, I didn't quite catch uh, the exact point about 5G that, that made it dangerous. Um, so that would be one of them. Uh, I, was, I, I would say that in terms of the minor parties, it was pretty incredible to see the spread of new conservative yeah. candidates around the country. I mean, it's it's one of those bizarre pieces of trivia, but they are the only party apart from Labour that's running in all 72 general and Māori electorates. Yeah, and fascinating, right? That's yeah. that's kind of incredible. And they had an immense number of signs out around the country, absolutely immense. Probably slightly fewer than them were the advanced New Zealand signs, but they were very prominent as well. Right. Uh, and a lot of the a lot of the smaller towns I would wager possibly in the sort of way that uh, that New Zealand first signs would have used to have been prominent in that sense, mm. but didn't there were heaps. I was up. Be. I was up in Northland, which I think you might have neglected on this trip. I did. I did. I figured everyone else would be looking at Northland <laughs> because of the excitement <laughs> of that seat. Well, I, I I I was up there for a few days, and there were the, there were a lot of Billy TK and advance signs, mm. and a lot of one party signs as well. Yes, yes, Folk Kingdom. Folk Kingdom. Yeah, actually, I There's suppose a Mr. I was in Topo the other day, and there was a Mister Coffin. Who was standing for King? You know, all felt deeply rapture reading Mister Coffin and mm, mm. Kingdom and to go right through the top of it. Yeah, almost. Um, yeah, no. I, I mean, I think the one party are a really interesting uh, political movement in that they're they're very genuinely bicultural in a way that I think previous iterations of explicitly Christian parties mm. haven't necessarily been. Mm. Uh, and and I, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere for them this election. I think yeah. they're probably going to finish on about 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 or thereabouts. Yeah. But there will be a lot of voters out there. Uh, and this is probably another one where, I mean, when I went to go and see the one party, it was in Martin and... Uh, we were hosted there for a porphyry by a local uh, Pentecostal church mm. who, um, who, you know, I think for a lot of people in that sort of quite hard-edged form of Christianity, uh, the message that they're trying to push that, you know, there's only one vote that you can make that will please God uh, will actually be quite a potent one. So, you know, that's probably a small share of the existing Christian population who are going to sh- who are going to hear that message. But for them, it, it could it could definitely resonate. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, after the election, 
a number of factors that are in play, including mm-hmm. the likely uh, exit from Parliament of New Zealand First and potentially the disintegration of New Zealand First. Let's face it, they had, had, yeah, had yeah. one leader for 27 years. Yeah. Um, that's a possibility. We don't know. Maybe mm. maybe someone else would emerge to lead it. You've got uh, issues within the National Party. We'd already had murmurings of a Christian right party splitting off that with yep. with well, Fungaro. That's the but other all amazing these things, thing. I mean, all Ngaro these things was approached play. by the one party to be their right. leader, and he turned them down. Yeah. And that was part of the genesis of the one party, is that they said, oh, well, we're, we're going to have to lead ourselves but, then. But after the election, I wonder whether... And this is this is speculation, of course, but with all the different moving parts, advance, mm. public party, if they can coalesce in their own way, not in a not in a, not in a kind of negotiations coalition way, but if they can coalesce, it feels like there is it's a good time with a strong leader mm. to actually create something that can have an impact in a parliamentary sense. Quite possibly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Um, that was definitely what the new Conservatives were looking to do maybe a year and a half ago. And then we had uh, some of their momentum, I think, got taken away by the formation of Vision New Zealand, which mm. doesn't appear to have really gone anywhere. Mm. But then to have it's the Hanna one Tamaki's. party form. Yeah, 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 yeah Tamaki's party. Uh, to then have the one party form as well and to also have Advance New Zealand who – have turned into something of a juggernaut. Uh, that's put a dent in their potential voter base, mm. uh, which has probably kept them away from the cusp of 5%, which would have then given a lot of you know, potentially sympathetic voters yeah. a good reason to go There's for Some it. momentum in the last fortnight, if, you, yeah, if, you, if yeah. you're sort of there or thereabouts, as we, as we saw when Colin Craig and that one of those car crash campaigns yeah. got sort of around close to sort of sort of on, on the edge four. of four. Yeah. And then that then there was a there was a scandal in and the week just before and fell away. it didn't quite yeah. ever get there. And I think um, I mean it's it's probably tempting from the outside to look at Advanced New Zealand as being that vehicle that does manage to coalesce all of the other parties around them, in part because well, some of the other parties say their manifesto is basically entirely made up of cherry-picking what already existed from a range of other parties. Mm. Uh, Except at the same time, within that space, uh, definitely among the party leadership of other parties and probably among a fair bit of the rank and file as well, there's just a huge amount of mistrust for Takahika and and Jamie Lee Ross. And they, they don't see them as being... Uh, yeah. people that they're comfortable having leading their particular movements. And yeah. so I think that's going to be something that holds back any sort of coalescing Le- around it. Leadership is, is critical. Leadership is critical and personality politics yeah. matters a yeah. lot. Yeah, uh, We're going to have you in spin-off towers on Saturday night watching lots of those interesting seats and the the, the the small numbers around the, the smaller parties and how they fare and where they're targeting. Are there any particular seats that are uh, exciting you at the moment? Yeah, a couple. Um, I would say uh, one of them would be the East Coast, yeah. I think. And I, I met the national candidate Tanya Tapsil in Whakatane uh, on the first leg. Yeah. And in any other year, I think she would absolutely walk it. You know, coming in 
as a popular district councillor, uh, replacing Anne Tolley, who mm. is a very popular local MP. Except, you know, Kiri Tapu Ellen is a very strong candidate as well, and she's done an immense amount of work on the ground over the last three years, mm. and also has the benefit of this massive swing to Labour to work with. So that'll be an interesting seat to watch. Wairarapa will be very, very interesting to see. Uh, I. At this stage, I would pick McAnulty to win it, in hmm. uh, part because Nationals picked a pretty good candidate for that seat if you're a farmer. He, he's uh, His name's Mike Butterick, and he, he was the co-founder of that group Fifty Shades of Green last year, who were very much against uh, conversion of farmland to, to pine forest. Hmm. And that's been a particularly live issue around the Wairarapa, where there are a whole lot of um, stations that have been sold up for Pine and uh, towns have lost employment, they've lost, uh, in some cases, school teachers who who haven't had enough kids to teach anymore as a result. Um, but I don't know if Butterick will necessarily speak to people outside of the farming community in quite the same way. And then you've also got Ron Mark, who is running to win that seat. Yeah. A long shot, to be sure, but he is a good defence minister by all accounts yep. and he is um, well liked well, well respected liked, local mayor of Carterton could so be I the next leader of New Zealand first a very be. good shout could at that if... and I think for for him it's sort of perhaps the the really interesting part of that race is where he ends up taking votes from hmm. and if it if it ends up being that he takes a whole lot of votes off Karen McAnulty then then Butterick could definitely slip in yeah and to finish a creditable even a creditable third, but to finish second would mm. put him in a very strong position to make an argument that he's the guy to take over New Zealand oh, first hugely, if there yeah. was a vacancy, yeah. isn't it? I think the other, just the other really interesting seat yeah. uh, that I've seen is um, probably Christchurch Central, which is... Um, it, really? We didn't put that on a list of the seats to watch. No, no, it just occurred <laughs> to me right then. But I actually, I went to go and see a debate for that seat. Um, and it's got, Isn't that a slam dunk for... Duncan Webb now? It should be. Uh, it really should be. He's, uh-huh. uh, I mean, he's a reasonably, uh, seemingly a reasonably prominent local mm. personality, having done a lot of um, legal work around the earthquake recovery. Um, but National's candidate is very, very strong. He's a, he's a guy called Dale Stevens, mm. former police officer, former businessman. I think he might have been on the telly for a while. A very, very... Um, uh, it just comes across as very approachable, very likable, obviously intelligent, uh, manages to, uh, I guess, manages to project that uh, that sort of compassionate conservatism uh, kind of image that some would say the National Party should be going for more of and, and others would say that that's not yeah. really the direction that they've gone in. Yeah. Um, well, I guess their problem to, is to bring it back to the kind of Route 1 politics is that I don't know where Mr Stevens is on the list, but their problem is that they're not yeah. going to be bringing in that new talent. We saw that with... A lot of it, you no, know, no. The, the, the Tanya Tapsell who you mentioned. She's way down. A, a Māori woman in her 20s, well-respected, political experience. Mm-hmm. She's... If, if Kiritapu Ellen wins, which she's likely to, then she's not getting yeah, into Parliament. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think that's that's potentially a huge risk for National is that they they keep their safe seats and they they don't end up with those 
new MPs in who could theoretically even be future yeah. uh, future ministers or future leaders. Yeah, you know? maybe, maybe they end up being that small conservative <laughs> party that we were talking about emerging. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that won't happen. Hey, listen. Uh, thanks for chatting today. Is, tell no us, give us a, give us a, um, give us a overview. Give us a parting thought. What have you learned, Alex Bray, while travelling the length and breadth of this great nation, Aotearoa? Um, I suppose. Well, look, I I love democracy. Basically, uh, one of the biggest things that's come out of this is, um, I guess, what an election campaign is really like in practice. People people gather with their neighbours in, in halls and churches with a whole lot of people they definitely disagree with and they have to talk to them and they have to argue with them and mm. they have to really break down those bubbles that we sort of talk about forming around social media and they're sitting right in front of the people who want to govern them and they're, they're right up close to them and they can heckle them and ask questions of them. And it's, uh, you know, at the end of it, they all walk out with the exact same amount of say as each other. And mm. and that's kind of a beautiful and fragile and precious thing. And I think the thing that's come out to me really strongly is that it's a contract. You know, it's uh, people think about democracy as something that happens once every three years, and we're probably somewhat guilty of that as well because we get into election fever, but it's got to be an ongoing process. You know, the, the people who have... Uh, the people who have become politically engaged through this election campaign, they need to really stay involved, I think, and they need to keep making demands on those people who who seek to represent them and who would go down to Wellington and, you know, say that they're their voice. But, I mean, one of the things that I've been stewing on over the last month, I've had a lot of time in the juicy to think, and I, <laughs> I really think that we, we get the governments that we deserve and an engaged and informed citizenry gets a responsive government and an apathetic and disengaged public gets governments that don't give a shit about them. So uh, I, I think what people really need to do is if they've been out to an election debate or they've they've asked a question of one of their candidates or or had any involvement whatsoever uh, in politics over the election campaign, keep on top of the politicians and never let them forget that you're holding up your end of the bargain as the public as well. I can't think of better words to lead us into Election Day, Saturday. From 7pm, we will be online. I'll be there. Alex will be there. And a whole host of spin-off experts and writers and analysts and videographers. What's a videographer? <laughs> Not me. Illustrators, chefs, uh, candlestick makers. We'll be there. Ch- uh, check us out, spinoff.co.nz. Thanks for coming in, Alex. Thanks, Thanks for Alice. Me, Thanks, Alice. Thanks all. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate.
The Spin-Off Podcast Network.